Well, it's time for the sermon. The songs have all been sung. Everyone's sitting down. We're just waiting for that guy to walk out and start yakking at us for the next few minutes. It's just what we do at church every Sunday. But have you stopped to consider really what is happening? Do you remember the first time when you realized as you were sitting there that it wasn't just a man speaking? This isn't just some religious thing we do at church. But that God was speaking to you through his word? Could you feel his word alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting to your heart, exposing your sin, revealing who you were, convicting you by the power of the Holy Spirit? Do you remember one day when you were listening to someone preach God's word and you could all of a sudden see him in all of his glory, high and lifted up, sitting on a throne where angels and beings that you couldn't even imagine were bowing down to worship him. We're not here to study a book. We're not here to go through the motions. We're here to hear God speak to us through his word, the Bible. Isaiah 66 verses 1 to 2 say it like this, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Let us prepare our hearts now to hear from God in heaven as he speaks to us through his holy scriptures. Please grab your Bible and open it and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Grab your Bible and open it and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to just look at one verse here today in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 13. And I think it's important that we remember when we come to church and we open up the word, the reason we do that is not because I have something to say. It's because God has already spoken. And if you've been to churches where men are giving their opinions or they're impressing you with their personalities or their humor, that's not what's supposed to be happening. What's supposed to be happening is a declaration of the Word of God and an explanation of what it is. And look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. And we're going to, we, if you were here last week, we did 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 to 9. That's what we're doing. We're just working our way through the book, verse by verse, letting God speak to us. And we still have to do chapter 2, verses 10 to 12, but we kind of cheated a little bit because this week is Thanksgiving, and you can see that verse 13 starts with, and we also thank God. So I hope that's okay, that we skipped ahead a little bit here. Because we wanted to have a special message for Thanksgiving. We'll go back and do verses 10 to 12 next week. But look at verse 13 with me now. It says, and we also thank God constantly. Not just one day of the year. But we also thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is. The word of God. Which is at work in you believers. Paul's saying he came into the synagogue there in Thessalonica. He started preaching to the people. And as the people were sitting there, they realized this isn't just a normal day here going through the religious motions. This isn't just some guy up there speaking. No, this man is telling me what God has to say. 
and they listen to it much differently because they heard it as it really is. It says here, the word of God. Is that how you come to church? Is that why you're here? Because you want to hear what God has to say to you? Unfortunately, there's a lot of people who, when they're done with church, they go do barbecue. And you know what they like to eat after church? Roast pastor. That's what they like to eat. Can you believe that guy said this? Oh, can you believe that guy said that? Oh, that guy keeps always talking about this. And here we are filleting the pastor up. And what we're doing really is we're proving we missed the entire point of going to church that day wasn't to hear from some man. It wasn't if we were entertained by the jokes and stories. It wasn't if we felt good about what he had to say. Church is a good day when you hear from God and you tremble at his word. That's what it says. When you see this isn't the word of men. No one could come up with this. This is what God has to say. And unfortunately, in our day and age, we've traded the word of God and coming to church to hear the truth for the movie theater and going to be entertained by myths and stories. That's what we think is important. Oh, church better be free and they better have free donuts, but I'll shell out half of my life savings to take my family to a movie. Isn't that how it feels? Have you gone to a movie lately? Are you kidding me? That's how much it is? I mean, you're gonna, uh, that much for milk duds? I mean, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4, and you can see here what we're supposed to do when we gather here at church and what the world is into. Unfortunately, there will be many people today in our nation who will darken the door of a movie theater long before they will darken the door of a church. And they would much rather be entertained by other men than study for even just a few minutes. And when you think about it, what a sermon is maybe not even half the time of a movie, maybe maybe one third of the time of one movie. You ever hear somebody be like, oh man, that movie was just brutal. I mean, some movies are long, right? But like kids' movies, what are they, like an hour and a half, 90 minutes? They're for kids. No one's like, oh, I couldn't, under- I, couldn't, oh I couldn't pay attention that long. No one's saying that at a kid's movie. Yet you preach for 45 minutes, and what are people like? Oh, man, that guy is a long-winded. He's got a lot to say. What's that guy's problem? How does he expect people to understand? No, it's, it's all about do you want to hear what God has to say? If this is God speaking, you'll be here to listen. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, puts it like this. This is what Paul wrote to his disciple, his true disciple, his son in the faith, Timothy. He said, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Basically, in the throne room of heaven, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, I charge you with the most serious reality I can charge you with, Timothy. Preach the word Be ready in season and out of season. And here's what it's going to be like when you preach the word. It's going to be like you're reproving, rebuking, and exhorting. It might not always feel good. With complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming, and we can say now that it's here, when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Stories are much more provocative and interesting to people today than to hear what God has said in the scripture. What would you rather do? Would you rather kick back and uh, watch a movie 
nor would you rather get into God's word and see what he has said once and for all revealed to you so that it will burn in your heart and change the way that you live. Even churches are trying to cater today to the storytelling mentality of America and make the sermons feel more like a story than rather a word from God. And Paul says, here's one thing I want to thank God for, that you guys at Thessalonica, when you heard the word, you got it for what it really is, the word of God. And that's the way you wanted it. You wanted it cut straight. What does God say? That's what I want to hear. See, none of us have grown up in an America where that's how it is where people long for the truth, where they cry out to get more scripture, where they can't wait to hear what God has to say, and they come early to church trembling, wondering, what will the Lord reveal to me from his word today? So we need to realize that's the attitude that people have had in times of revival. That is the attitude that people have had when God has done great work in our world is when people have listened to God's word for what it really is. Turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 8. Let me show you a revival here in the book of Nehemiah chapter 8, a time of great turning to God. Uh, Unlike what we have experienced in modern day America, you know, our country was really founded on the great awakening, uh, a great time of revival in America. And there have been great times where people have turned to the Lord at various churches. And even here in Southern California, there have been movements towards Jesus Christ But all of those revivals, if you can trace back the history of any time where God has done a great work, it's always because God's people started to pay greater attention to God's word. That's when God is really working. Revival comes from the Bible. And you can see that very clearly here in Nehemiah chapter 8. This is a time now when the people have returned to Jerusalem after their exile in the Old Testament. And it says that there was a holiday unlike any we've ever known in our country. Look at Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 1 it says and all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate and they told Ezra the scribe here's what the people the people aren't crying out for their ears to be scratched because they got itchy ears and they want to hear more stories no they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel here's the nation gathering together and crying out bring us the book we want to hear from the law of God and so Ezra the priest he brought the law before the assembly both men and women and all who could understand what they heard so even much of the kids ministry would be out here listening to this anyone who could really understand who could read maybe who could write who could understand the the law And they came together on the first day of the seventh month, verse 3. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday. You think our church service is long. From early morning until midday. We don't even get started till about midday here at this church. In the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand, referring to people that we would think of as kids who couldn't understand, but they were there. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. They're just hanging on every word. And Ezra the scribe, he stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah, Messiah. On his right hand, sorry if I mispronounced that name. And Padiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem. Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshalim on his left hand. 
And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. So they're literally looking up to this. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Consider the entire nation doing this together. And then also, here come some more guys. Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hadiah, and there he is again, Maciah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites. These people helped the people to understand the law. While the people remained in their places, they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense. They preached on it. They explained it. They exposited it. So that the people understood the reading. This happened from early in the morning. Picture sunrise till about midday. Picture lunchtime. All the people in the entire nation. No one daring to speak. No one daring to complain or shift. They're standing and listening to the reading of the word. And then it's just like tag team preaching as one guy after another comes to explain the word of God the Lord. And people are shouting, amen, amen. And they're falling on their faces. Have you ever been a part of something like that? Because I have not. See, this is what it's like to want to hear, to say, bring the book. I want to hear from the Lord. And look what the response is. In verse 9, it says, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, they said to all the people, because they're having this day of festival here, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people, check this out, wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Hey, guys, go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying be quiet for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. We're reading the law of the Lord. We're reading what God has said in his word and the people are feeling convicted in their hearts. The people are hearing how life is supposed to be, how God is in his holy splendor, and they know the reality of themselves. They know how things are around them, and they're openly weeping and mourning because here's God's standard, and they see how we fall short, and they're crying. This is like a national holiday. It's a day of festival. It's like a day we're all supposed to go and barbecue and have fun and remember God and celebrate life. And the people are so torn up in their hearts. They are broken by their sin that the leaders have to go around and say, hey, guys, remember it's a holiday? You know, like, remember, you didn't have to work today and you got that special food set aside. So let's all go have our barbecue now. Guys, hey, the joy of the Lord is your strength, everybody. Like, pull yourself together. Let's go celebrate because the people are weeping. Because they have heard from God and they are trembling before him. When was the time that you went to church and you started trembling? When you started weeping? Like you were ready to go out to lunch. You were ready to go have a great rest of your day. But no, what the Lord said cut you to your heart and got your attention and fundamentally changed you. So that someone even had to encourage you, hey, you should move on with your day. We come from a culture of church where moving on with my day is what I start thinking about about 15 minutes into the sermon. 
And I'm, I, you don't have to tell me to go to lunch. I'm ready to go by the time that guy's done speaking. Because we don't see it as the word of the Lord. Point number one, let's put it down like this. We need to respond like God is speaking to you. Point number one, if you're taking notes here this morning, respond like God is speaking to you. And, and let me just tell you, as the pastor, if you're going to come to this church, my whole goal is that I'm taking God's message in the Bible and delivering it straight to you so that you can see it for what it really is, the Word of God. I'll try to make it clear. I'll try to make it easy to listen to, but I'll try to change nothing. I'll try to add nothing to it, and I'll try to take nothing away from it because I want you to hear what God has to say, and I want that to work in your heart. And if you really thought of it, like you were going to hear God speak. See, now when I say it like that, let's put it like this. Hear God speak. Who's heard God speak this morning? See, what do we start thinking about then? Well, have I heard his voice audibly? Now, see, that would be a big deal. And if you ever talk to anyone who thinks that they have heard God speak to them, they'll talk about it like it's a big deal. Like I heard God saying something to me. Like someone angelic or even God himself spoke to me. See, that's like, that changes their whole life when people claim that. See, that's how it should be when we hear the word of the Lord. It should have a profound, life-changing effect on us. Like, let's just take an example of when a man got to speak with God. Let's go to Exodus chapter 3. We're going to the Old Testament for some, some classic examples here of what it's like to hear from God's word. That was uh, Nehemiah 8. But look at this, where Moses now gets to speak to God. And really, this is the beginning of the revelation of God. Because God's going to start a rapport here with Moses, which is going to lead later on in Exodus to the Ten Commandments. And eventually, it's going to lead to Moses writing the first five books of the Bible. So this is really God speaking to Moses here, I would say, is really the beginning of where God's revelation in Scripture to us today comes from. It's this rapport that God starts with Moses. And if you're familiar with this story, look at it with me. Exodus chapter 3, this account of Moses now meeting God and hearing God speak. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, here's something miraculous. The bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. It's on fire, but it's not burning up. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why this bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Now, if you had an encounter like that, you think you would tell some people about it? You think that would be a big deal? You think you might lose your appetite for lunch? If that happened to you right there, see, Moses, he is afraid to even go near God. He is afraid, it says, to even look upon God because he realizes this is holy ground. And holy ground is not somebody where, like, where somebody like I belong. I got to take my sandals off because holy ground is where God exists 
and not where I get to go. What if you came here this morning like you were approaching holy ground, like you were going to hear from God himself who is going to reveal who he is and tell you what he expects from you in your life? Let me tell you, that is exactly what is happening right now. That is exactly what is happening anytime that you come to gather as church to hear God's word preached is he is speaking to you. And you may not get to hear your name in every sermon. We could start doing that if you want. I could start going through and calling everybody's name out. That would be a little awkward though, right? You may not get to hear your name called out, but I hope when you hear that God is speaking to you, you say, here I am. And you realize, I'm being talked to by the living and true God, the one who is holy and reigns supreme. And he has authority over my life. And he's going to tell me something I had better Listen to what God has to say. I mean, do we take it this serious? Do we have such a casual attitude about church these days? Like sing a few songs. You don't hear, oh yeah, that's encouraging. That makes me feel good. But get a little communion to go and I'm back to my regularly scheduled life. See? Or is this like your whole, your whole week is centered around coming into God's presence with his people, offering up praise to him, and then almost shrinking back, bracing yourself, putting on your spiritual seatbelt, and getting ready because God is going to speak to you. There's nothing casual about it. The most serious thing that will ever happen in your life is you hearing from God. And if you've heard from God before, it doesn't always feel good. Can I get an amen from anybody on that? It's not always like, oh, oh, yeah, thanks, God. Because what people want is they want I'm awesome. That's the message that we want to hear. Yeah. You know, somebody starts, you know, I try not to be the person who uh, praises myself. I try to let another man praise me. But when somebody says something nice about me, I haven't really started confronting them for doing that. Have you started confronting people who are saying nice things about you? Maybe you're like, yeah, it's about time you started appreciating me, right? Because we come from the universe where we are awesome. When we hear from this book right here, It takes us to a universe where God is awesome, where it's centered around him. And all of a sudden, I feel small. I almost even feel insignificant. Like sometimes when I read this book or I've heard sermons, like I have 0% self-esteem. Like it's actually probably in the negative. See? Notice the words that it said. When you hear from God, here's what it's going to be like. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. Preach the word. And then it gives it three clarifying words. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Like only one of those three sounds kind of pleasant. You know what I mean? Like where's like encourage, affirm, and lift up? You know, that, those are the words I'm looking for, right? That's how we come to church. See? We want, where, hey, where's the stuff that says keep on doing what you're doing because what you're doing is what everybody else should be doing. Rock on. You go. You go with your bad self, you know? That's what what we all think we should hear on some level. It's not what it feels like sometimes when you hear from God. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it cuts you. Go to Hebrews chapter 4. Here's one of the great analogies in the Bible, about the Bible, is in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Like, let me give you a couple of ways that you can know you're really hearing from God. I'm going to give you two things under point number one here that will help you realize you're really hearing from the Lord. That he, It's not just the word of men, but you see it for what it really is, the word of God. Here's a great analogy, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. This is how it describes the scripture. 
It says, for the word of God is living and active. So this isn't just some book that was written a long time ago. It's like it's alive, it's saying. This book has a power to it. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I mean, I've heard this book preached. I've been sitting there, like maybe you're sitting there this morning, had my Bible open, and, and all of a sudden I started to see that this book was actually describing me, and this book knew me better than I even knew my own self. That's what I've seen in this book. It's like a mirror that somebody was holding up for me, and I saw myself, and the picture that I saw of myself was not the picture I would have chosen for my profile picture or my book cover. No, the picture I saw, verse 13, it was like this. There's no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. It exposed me. That's what this book has done. It showed me who I really was, and the picture was kind of ugly. As I was looking in the mirror, there were some things that needed to be changed about who I was, and I felt like a sword has stabbed me. You ever felt like that before? Like your heart just got cut. We call it conviction. Let's put that down under point number one. Here's one way you can know you're hearing from God when you get cut open by the Scripture. When the sword that's sharper than any double-edged sword, now that means it's pretty sharp, two sides. Well, this sword is cutting all the way into your heart. And man, have you felt that burning before? Have you ever come to to church and maybe you were having a good day and then you came to church and we got into something and you realize that's me, I'm that guy, I'm the man, I'm the woman, I'm the one who does that and you are just cut at church and like it ruins the rest of your day. Have you ever had one of those days? See now a lot of people would say, well that sounds like a bad day at church. No, people who want to hear from God, they think that's good. All of a sudden, you, you hang out with Christians, people who really long for the scripture, who really want to hear what God says. They'll be like, how was church today? Oh, man, it was convicting. Man, it just tore me up. And then they'll say something like this. I loved it. You ever hear those people? We got a few of them running around here at this church, right? Oh, man, that was so refreshing. I just felt so convicted by the scripture. Oh, praise the Lord. Like, what a weird group of people we are, you know? That's what we want, though. I don't want to hear what everybody else is saying. I don't want to hear some story that makes me feel good. I want to hear what God thinks. If God is looking into my heart, not seeing me on the outside like we see each other, but no, if he's seeing who I really am in my soul, my innermost being, I want to know what God thinks about me. This book will tell you that, see? And trust me, when you first meet who you are in this book, it will not feel good. And if all you want is feel good, church, then you can never really know yourself. Because what God says about us in this book, the analogy it wants to use is not like a back scratcher, my friends. It's like a double-edged sword. And it cuts into your heart. And it exposes you for who you are, naked before a God who is holy. And in his glorious light, the darkness of your secrets are revealed before him. And you tremble. That's a good day at church. And I hope you've had a day like that. 
hope you've had a day where you have seen yourself for who you are in your sin and you have found it to be refreshing. Because only when you have that understanding of who you are can you then have the next thing we want to talk about. Go to James chapter 1. And here's really the power of the word of God that you can see here. And we were in Hebrews chapter 4. Just turn on over to James chapter 1. And look at this here with me as it talks about our response to the scriptures. Uh, it, it, it first brings up the scripture here in verse 18. Look at verse 18 with me of James chapter 1. It says it like this, of his own will, just because he wanted to, God brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So because God wanted to, he gave us the truth in his word, which then makes us born again. So now that we know we're talking about the word, look at verse 19. It says, know this, my beloved brothers. When it comes to God's word, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. Don't go roast the pastor after that. Slow to anger. Don't get upset when you're hearing the Bible preached. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. That's what you're going to see if you look into the perfect law of liberty. You're going to see your sin, and it's going to reveal some filthiness, some rampant wickedness. And then receive, welcome it with meekness, with humility, not with this low view of yourself, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. See, without conviction... There is no conversion. That's the second word we want to write down, okay? So I'm going to get exposed for who I am. I'm going to be shown uh, to be a sinner by this book. But then, as I remove that filthiness and that rampant wickedness, as I turn from my sin and come to God, begging forgiveness, seeking out mercy and grace, well then, in this word that convicts me, it also converts me and it makes me a new person. It changes me from the inside out. That, that thrust of the sword that cuts me open. It's now God puts in within me a new heart. And he gives me his Holy Spirit. So that now I can understand this word. And I can live it out. And I become a new man. And how does it say that happens? Through the word. The word is how you got saved. If you're a Christian, there's only one way that you could become a Christian. Well, we say, well, that's in Jesus Christ. He's the only name by which we can be saved. Well, there's only one way you can hear about Jesus Christ. And that's through this book right here. I mean, if somebody tells you a Jesus that's not from this book, are you going to heaven? No. I mean, there's Jesuses. People are making up their own Jesuses all the time. They add books onto this and say that's who Jesus is, or they just want Jesus, the nice guy who gives everybody free food and who says love your love your neighbor as you love yourself. See, and look at the positive message of self-esteem. Jesus is affirming that we should all love ourselves. There's people talking about that kind of Jesus. See, people are people are making Jesus who they want him to be. If you know Jesus Christ, if you really know him, it's because you found out the Jesus that is revealed in this book. And when Simon Peter says, well. You're the Christ. I know who you are. You're the Christ. What does Jesus say to him? Well, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. There's only one way to find out who Jesus Christ is. And if you know Jesus, it's because God revealed it to you. He opened your blind eyes to see the glory of Jesus. And how did he do that? Because one day you were listening or reading or somebody was telling you this book and your eyes got opened. It's, this is where the power is right here. So if we think we're going to do church any other way besides the straightforward, upfront, and sometimes in-your-face teaching of the Bible, then we have made up a new kind of church. 
And so here at this church, we want to be very committed. We're going to say what God says, and it's not always going to feel good, but you know what? People might not go to hell. They might get saved. They might fall in love with Jesus Christ and live forever with him, experience his glory. Can I get an amen from anybody on that? All right. That's what we're going to do. We're going to preach the truth. And we're not even just going to do it here at this church. We're going to do it. We're just going to go through it and say what it says. But we're actually saying that this is what we should all do every day, all the time, as we should preach the word of the Lord. And not just share with people what we think, but say what God says. The best preachers are all copycats. They're all plagiarizers. They're all repeaters. They are just saying what God has said. And they're explaining it to the people. And they're saying, here it is. You've heard from God. What are you going to do about it? You're going to feel convicted? You're going to turn from your sin and find salvation? Or are you going to go on living like you're in your own universe and you're awesome? Which one is it? Now go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Because it says that not only did they receive it as the word of God, and I would imagine that changed a lot of their lives. I would imagine that that really disturbed a lot of these Thessalonians when they had to turn from their lifestyle of idolatry or some of the Jews there maybe who had to admit that Jesus was the Messiah. Man, this word of the Lord, it, it caused an uproar there in 1 Thessalonians in this, in this church. And... Uh, Their lives radically changed. But look back at our verse. We're just going through one verse here. Look at verse 13. It says, we also thank God. So we're thankful for the Bible. We're thankful that we can preach the Bible here at this church. You know what I'm thankful for as a pastor? That when I stay up here to preach it, people are here. We we don't even have backs on our seats. And you are here to listen to the word of the Lord. Thank you very much, my friends, for coming to hear. Uh, Hopefully you're here because you want to hear from God. And look what it says back in our verse. We also thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. That's point number one. And then it says this, which is at work in you believers. Here's the thing. Once you really get the word and it convicts you, and it changes your life as you see who Jesus is, and you come to him for the forgiveness of your sin, this word now is just, it's like a battery that's gotten placed inside of you. It's like a power source now. This word here, it says, which is at work in you believers. The work here, the word here is the word we get energy from. I don't know if you've ever thought of the Bible as energy, but that's what it just said right there. This is now what's energizing you to live for Jesus is this uh, book, this Bible. I mean, when I, when, I, when I was thinking about that, this energy idea, as I looked at it in the Greek, I, I just started thinking about the Energizer Bunny. Does anybody else know about this guy, the Energizer Bunny? I, I haven't seen him lately, but he used to be on TV all the time, right? And, and, I, and apparently, I really liked him. I thought he was hilarious. Uh, the story was that this one battery company, Duracell, they made this commercial where they had all these like pet bunnies and they were all like playing a drum and they kind of said that, look, we'll play all these bunnies and see which battery lasts the longest and Duracell lasts the longest, so go buy Duracell batteries. Well, the truth is in there like lining up of all the batteries, they didn't put Energizer batteries in the list. So it's a totally misleading commercial because you think, well, Duracell, look, I saw the pet bunnies. I mean, look at all the stuff to toy bunnies there. Banging those drums. Duracell battery made that bunny hit the drum the longest. So I should go buy Duracell. That's the longest lasting battery. False advertising. Energizer lasts longer than Duracell. So they make their mascot a bunny who beats a drum 
and like taunt the other battery company. I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> Trash talking in the battery business. Who knew, you know? My favorite Energizer Bunny, you know, he, he's still going and going and going. Tell me you've heard this before. Has anyone heard this? Am I speaking to anybody? All right. And, and my favorite one was when the, when the Energizer Bunny met Darth Vader. Did you see this one? Did you ever see this? He's in that place where they, where they froze Han Solo, if, you're, if you know what I'm talking about right now. I know this analogy only works for a few, right? But do you want to talk about Star Wars for a second? We know who Darth Vader is, I hope, right? And he's there, and he's got his lightsaber, and he's going to come and destroy the Energizer bunny. And all of a sudden, he like, his lightsaber starts working. And he opens it up, and there's like supervolt batteries in there. And he's like, no, as the bunny just like keeps hitting the drum. Still going. Nothing outlasts the Energizer. He keeps going and going and going. I mean, this guy defeated Darth Vader. That is Energizer. That's what this book is right here. Energizer. This book. Man, you don't feel like living for Jesus Christ, but you know him. You're a Christian. You wake up in the morning. You're not really feeling it. Here's your Energizer right here. Plug back into the power. Do you realize how ridiculous it is that we have a whole generation of Christian people growing up right now saying stuff like, well, I don't feel like reading my Bible. And you know what? I don't think God wants me to do it just because I feel like I have to do it. And since I don't feel like doing it, I won't do it. That's like, that's like your iPhone saying, I don't feel like working today. And since you didn't plug me in, I'm not going to work. I mean, how stupid is that? you're not feeling it, maybe you need to get back to the energy. Maybe you need to get back to the power. Maybe the reason you're not feeling it is you haven't been in God's word. You haven't been hearing from the Lord. Maybe you ran out of energy because you haven't been in the book. This power that's at work and everybody here who's a Christian, where do we get our energy from? Where do we get our sense of life in Jesus Christ from? It comes from the Bible. You want to have a revival here in Huntington Beach? Anybody want to see many people get saved all around here? See this church blow up? See this town turn upside down? Well, if you want to see that, hey, revival only comes from one place. It comes from the Bible right here. And you can have your own little revival any morning, any night that you want to open up this book and let God speak to you. That it will give you a sense of life all over again. Let's get that down for point number two. Come to the Bible for your revival. If we're going to see God revive Huntington Beach, which is totally what I'm praying for. That's why I moved up here. That's what I'm hoping to see. Well, it's got to start with us. And we've got to have the Energizer battery that's going to let us keep going and going and going for Jesus Christ. Day after day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And already I'm starting to feel like I don't have the energy for that. And I'm starting to get tired. How, what's going to keep me pumped up and keep me going? right here. God speaking to me. Have you ever felt that energy that comes from hearing from God? Have you felt that power before where you feel like you have an impossible day ahead of you, a task that you cannot do in your own strength, and you get in God's word, you pray about it, and then guess what happens? The day happens. Life happens. He empowers you. God is an everlasting God. Go to Isaiah chapter 40 with me. The power of God is unfathomable. We do not know a power that doesn't run out. Even, even the Energizer battery is going to run out. We all run out of power every single day. We got to go and we got to recharge ourselves with some sleep. We're turning to Isaiah chapter 40. So one thing about God that makes him other than us 
that makes him the one unique supreme being in the entire universe. That means it's about him being awesome and not us is he never runs out of energy, never runs out of power. He is an everlasting God. And the amazing thing is if you have a relationship with him, if you know God through Jesus Christ, you are now plugged in to the power source. Look at Isaiah chapter 40 at the end of it. Look at verse 28. It says this, have you not known... Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. Now, when you read that, you might just think, well, that means he's always been, he is now, he always will be. But look, it's, it's saying something practical about that. It says that he's the creator of the ends of the earth. And here's something about him. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. In fact, he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint. Even young men in the prime of their life, even they get weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. When you, when you are running low, on life, when you feel sapped, when you feel drained, do you think, I got to go back to God for more energy, for more strength? I got to get up in the Bible and get a free refill of his life and his love? I hear people thinking like, well, let's just drink an energy drink, right? Because Red Bull gives you wings. Red Bull doesn't give you wings. Red Bull gives you like a weird taste and a headache. That's, that's what Red Bull gives you, right? I'll tell you who gives you wings. The Lord will give you wings, you will mount up. Forget these young guys running fast. We're flying over them now. That's the picture here. People today think, well, if you exercise and you get sleep and you eat healthy, then you'll have energy. Hey, those things might help, but they're not the power of God in your life. There is an everlasting God, and he's saying, if you feel faint, if you feel weary, if you feel exhausted, I want to give you strength. That's what God's saying. And I can give everybody here all the strength that they're ever going to need for every day. And it will diminish my strength 0% because I'm always at 100. That's our Lord. That's our God. And we're waking up in the morning and we're thinking, oh man, I can't get into the Bible. I can't pray. I'm too tired. When that's the source of strength that will wake you up and get you going. How foolish we are to look for life where there is none when we have it right here in front of us. And if we could just turn our eyes from worthless things and be revived according to God's word, that's Psalm 119.37, if you want to write that down. Turn my eyes away from worthless things and revive me, give me life, give me that energy again according to your word. I mean, how much time do we spend with movies, television, internet, on our computer, now we're carrying around a screen that we can look at all day long. We can touch it. We're so busy looking at things, and at the end of the day, so many of those things are worthless. They're not eternal. They're not really helping your soul. This book right here will give you life, it says. How are you doing at getting into this book? Like how, first of all, one, how seriously do you take it when we preach it here at church? Is it like you're hearing from God? Is that what you think when you come to church? Then the second part is, this is supposed to be the energy, the power that's at work in you if you're a Christian. 
So how are you doing getting power throughout the week? Every Christian, when you're first a Christian, you're like a newborn baby longing for the pure milk of the word. That's 1 Peter 2, 2. And then Hebrews 5, 11 to 14 say that at some point you should be growing in your maturity and you should be able to eat meat. You should be able to sit down with the Bible by yourself and chew on some of it and get strength and get sustenance to face the day. How are you doing in that? Don't believe that what, what the vibe that every Christian is giving out today that's like, yeah, but who really reads their Bible? Who's really that disciplined? Who really wakes up early? Who really stays up late? Who really does it day after day after day after day? People don't really do that. Yeah, the strong Christian people do. You see a Christian who's got energy? You, you know what they say when people see a Christian with energy today? They say, oh, they're just always on the go. They just got one of those personalities. They just, they just got passion. They're just fired up. Not true not true. They got the Bible. That's what they got. Now flip your hand out over. We're going to start something inspired by this, uh, this sermon here. If you flip your hand out over, if you're taking notes, we're going to start something called Scripture of the Day. Where We want you to come to this church. We want you to hear from God's Word. But now we also want you to keep plugging into the power source and get that energy all week long. And so we're going to encourage everybody at our church to read something together every day. And eventually maybe we'll get it online and we can go on there and comment and we'll have like this button you can push. If you don't want to read yourself, somebody will read to you maybe while you're driving in your car, while you're taking your shower or something. You know, maybe we'll just record somebody here who's got a nice voice and they'll be like, this morning, welcome to scripture of the day. And they'll just start reading it to you. We'll make it as easy as we can. But well, we want everybody here to stay plugged in all week long. So here's what we're going to do. From now on, when you come to church, on the back of the handout, you're going to see Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And we're going to say, here's something we would love our whole church to read together this week. So we can all be on the same page, from the same book, hearing what God says to us. We can talk about it. We can encourage one another. If you got another Bible reading program, that's great. Keep reading the Word. I'm not going to limit how much you read, but I would like to ask you to do this with us, okay? And it's not going to be burdensome. It's not going to be overwhelming. It's going to be something that if you want to do it, you can find time to do it. So look, I mean, to this week, here's, here's what we want to do. We want to read 1 Thessalonians. We're preaching through it. We're working our way through chapter 2. We're about halfway through chapter 2. The book's got five chapters. We're going to be studying this book for a while here at this church. Let's all read it. Let's all get the basic idea of the book. So this week, if you can do it on the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday dynamic, great. If you can, if that doesn't work out, don't, don't worry about it. Don't sweat it. Don't make it like some burden, like, oh, I didn't do it right. It's not like that. I'm saying, hey, if you're going to this church, if I'm your pastor, if we're going to get into God's word together, let's all read First Thessalonians this week. Does that sound like a good idea to everybody? Let's all do it. Let's all do it. And then if you come back, you'll look on the back, and you know what? I'll tell you what it's going to say. It's going to say, next week, let's all read it too. Let's read it two weeks in a row. Let's start getting our mind around it. Maybe you can find somebody else and talk about it with them. Let's start getting in the Word. Let's stay plugged in to our power source. Let's keep that battery so we can keep hitting that drum for Jesus Christ and keep going and going and going for Him. That's what we got to do. Now go to Colossians chapter 1 with me. Here's what, here's, let's get back to this idea of energy, energy, that God, if we stay plugged into what God says, see what we're building here is we're just building like a conduit. We're making ourselves like the, like the middleman here, basically. You know, like God has spoken. And when I hear what God has spoken, now it's like God will work through me 
to do what he wants to do. So when I get plugged into the power source, whether it's coming here and hearing a sermon, whether it's reading the Bible on my own, maybe just talking with some people at a home fellowship group or just another brother or a sister at a coffee shop or at each other's house or something like that, I'm getting, we're talking about what God has said in the Bible. And what that does is it starts to create in me this work where it's not just like I'm going to go try to do maybe if I can what God said, where it's like, here's the standard, I hope I can measure up. No, now it's like the power of God is inside of me somehow through this word. And he's going to start to do a work that he is going to give me the energy, the strength, the grace to go and do. When I tap into God's word, it's like he's going to work through me now. And he's going to start doing something here at this church. And it's going to be greater than what we could all do if we all just started working together. It's going to be God working among us. That's what happens when you really get plugged into his word. It's like you start to get pushed out of the way, and now through you, he does something greater than you could ever try to do it if you mustered up all your power and strength. If you saved it up for a week and then tried to do one awesome thing. No, God's just going to start empowering you and working through you. It's awesome when you can, it's called being filled with the Spirit. It's awesome when you can tell that you are under the influence of God because you have His Word in your heart. And you see that here in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 and 29. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 and 29. Now this is a great theme verse for a church. It says, Him we proclaim, that's talking about Jesus. Jesus we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. We want every one of you not to just be a Christian, not not to just be a baby newborn Christian, but we want you to be a mature, I can digest the Bible for myself, I can get into it, study it, and know what it says kind of a Christian, a mature Christian. So we proclaim Jesus that we might present every single person here mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. That's an amazing dynamic that Paul has just established. He's toiling, he's struggling, but how is he doing it? With God's energy that is powerfully working within him. See, sometimes I'm afraid we read the Apostle Paul, who wrote 1 Thessalonians, uh, he, wrote, he wrote 2 Timothy we looked at. He wrote Colossians. And we just think, man, that guy, he must have been a real go-getter. You know, just one of those real, like, on-top-of-it personalities. You know, just type A all the way. That must have been the Apostle Paul. No, perhaps he wasn't like that at all. Perhaps the Apostle Paul was just someone who stayed plugged into the power. See? And God was energizing him. Isn't that what he's always trying to say? Like, who am I? I'm the worst of sinners. I'm just an ordinary guy. But God's doing this. Isn't that always how he says it? What if he's just a man just like us? But he understood something that we don't understand, that we need to stay plugged in. Is it God's power at work within you? Look at the beautiful way that it says it here in verse 29. With all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Have you felt that power this week? Have you felt like, wow, the task this today is overwhelming? How can I do it? How am I going to get through today? And then by God's strength, not only did you get through the day, you took the most of the opportunity to tell somebody the gospel. You had a joyful attitude when everything in your circumstances was saying to start complaining and bickering. When somebody mistreated you, you turned the other cheek so they could mistreat you some more, and you responded in love and meekness. Like, how does that happen? 
That's God's power at work within you. How does that happen? When we proclaim Jesus, it energizes. So if you are a Christian, you might come here and you might feel convicted sometimes. And then you know what you might feel like sometimes when you come to this church? Like you just got a full tank of gas. That's what you might feel like. Like you're ready to go. All right, coach, put me in the game. I'm ready to play. That's hopefully how you're walking out of these gates we got here at this high school. Like, let's go do this for Jesus Christ. I can feel his energy. We just proclaim Jesus. Let's go live for him. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Here's maybe a passage you're familiar with. Here in Ephesians chapter 3. Look at this with me. It says, uh, this is a great idea of the energy that God gives. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 and 21. It says it like this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power, according to this energy at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Anybody love that verse? Isn't that a great verse, right? Oh yeah, God is able. He can do more than we can ask or think. Usually when are we saying that? When we're dead tired, right? Oh, I can't do it. Do you realize sometimes when we talk about how tired we are and we limit how much we think we can accomplish, what we might actually be saying is, I don't really think God's power is that awesome. I don't think his energy is really that life-giving. Like, I actually think my fatigue and my, like, just feeling drained is greater than the amount of power that God can work within me. And it's saying, don't limit God. Don't underestimate what he can do in the church, in the name of Jesus Christ, in you, one of his people. Because he can do more than all that you could ask or more that you could all, all, all could think. That's a big statement. Because if we sat around over the donuts here, I think we could think of some big things that God could do here in Huntington Beach. Right? Like number one, maybe he could be miraculous and like give us seats with backs. You know what I mean? Maybe he could give us a roof with air conditioning. Like, I could see him doing that, right? I mean, what if he gave us, like, a hundred new people to come in here that we could disciple and evangelize and teach the gospel? Like, I could see him doing that. So if we could get together and we could start asking or thinking, like, those are basically the kinds of things I'm praying for, right? So I am asking. I am thinking about those things. You're telling me he can do more than anything that I can ask or think? That's how powerful he is? Like, just let your thoughts run wild this Thanksgiving. Just think about everything God has done that's good for you. Think about everything good that could be yet to come, and then realize his power can do more than everything you just listed. See? His power, it's off the charts. It's beyond the scale. You pray some big prayers, still small, compared to the vast resources of his power. That's the energy that we're plugging into. That's the power that you and I have every week, every day at our disposal. And I can't wait. I can't wait. I mean, if we're here today to have a Thanksgiving service for the first 12 weeks of our church, I can't wait to see what God's going to do in the next 12. I bet it's beyond anything that we could. If we could sit down right now and think, well, what could happen in the next 12 weeks? I bet God's going to do something that's beyond what any of us could ask or think. That's what I'm praying for, because that's the power that I believe that he has. So I hope you're praying for a building. I hope you're praying for hundreds of new Christians who want to start coming to church. I hope you're praying that even people in Huntington Beach would rather come to church and hear from the word of the Lord 
than rather go to some dark theater and, he, and watch some movie, some story made up by men because they want to hear what God has to say. Does that sound revolutionary here in our day and age? That people would rather go to church than the movies? That's the kind of stuff I'm praying for. That God would do that in a work of his mighty power. Look specifically where the power shows up here in Ephesians chapter 3. Look at verse 21 there. It says that the power is going to show up. Where does it say? In the church. See? To him be glory in the church. That's us. And in Christ Jesus. That's whom we proclaim throughout all generations. That's us. Here way down 2014. Forever and ever. Amen. We should expect to see God's power when we gather together. We should expect to see God's power in our own life. If we are tapped into his source, the word, the scripture. Go back one more thing from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. One more thing. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. Turn there with me. I just want to draw your attention to that phrase. That's why we skip to this passage for today. It says, and we also thank God. The Greek word there is Eucharisto. And the, the way that that has kind of been transliterated is the Eucharist. Okay? So when it says we thank God, uh, the, the word that has come out of that Greek word is the Eucharist. And if you grew up in a formal or more traditional liturgical kind of church setting, when you hear Eucharist, you know that that means it's time for communion. That's what it is. See, the idea of being thankful became synonymous in church circles with the idea of remembering the death of Jesus Christ. We're going to take communion right now to close out our Thanksgiving service. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to take a, a piece of bread and a little cup of juice. And that bread is going to represent the body of Jesus Christ that hung on the cross, that experienced the wrath of God and judgment for sin so that you never have to. Jesus experienced death so you don't ever have to die. That's the promise of it. And his blood, it, it was shed for you and it washes away all of your sins. Makes you as white as snow. Even though you, you get so convicted and you're so broken about who you are, now because of Jesus Christ, God looks at you and he doesn't see you naked and exposed. He sees you covered and cleaned up. Why? Because of what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. If there's a number one thing on the list of things to be thankful for this week, I mean, we could make a list of 10,000 reasons, I hope. But number one on the list needs to be the death of Jesus Christ for me on the tree, that she, he would give his body and his blood. That's, I mean, the, the very word that means thank you, I am thankful for, in the Greek language, became synonymous with what we are about to experience, communion that we might be thankful for what Jesus has done for us. That is the message of this book. That is the thing. If you don't have this energy, maybe it's because you don't really know Jesus Christ. That's what the whole point of this book, this is the Jesus book, driving you to him. Jesus says this is eternal life. Not that you would live forever. Not that you would feel good or feel healthy. No, this is eternal life. That you may know the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom he said. They're going to pass the, the bread and the cup while we hear this song, and then we'll come back and we will partake of this together.